everyone has a hope and a dream for themselves and their future. But there's a lot around each of us that needs to happen that often doesn't in people's lives. Because of all the opportunities that were afforded to us, we also had an opportunity to, to help others in the world and, and really an obligation to. Companionship means a lot to homeless individuals who, you know, often people don't even look at them on the street. You know, that's why I say even serving a meal, just by being there and interacting and talking with people is helpful because homeless people are so marginalized. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. So easy enough, this is the podcast that reflects my life, the people I aspire to become, some I have known for years, but some I am speaking with uh, for the very first time. Very daunting task at first, uh, but I think after eight months of constant practice, releasing about one episode every week, I have gotten used to it. By that I mean I started to forgive myself for not asking the perfect questions, uh, jump in at the right time always, but rather just go with the flow, flex as we go along in the conversation. Some of the questions I love asking my guests are, what are some of the things you don't carry on the surface of yourself? Or what are some of the questions that you wish people to ask you but haven't yet? Then from there, what I will do is compile a blog post with the audio tracks that you can listen directly on my website called Phase World, F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. There you can also find show notes, links, tools, and resources. So there's no reason to take notes. If you hear a name you're interested to explore further or a book you want to maybe check it out on Amazon. So all that information will be readily available on my website. So today on my show, you will meet Marianne Busina. She is an executive director from the Friends of Boston Homeless, short for um, FOBH. Did you know that Boston was a, what they call the pioneer in addressing homeless needs? As part of this movement, Friends of Boston Homeless played a very significant part for helping homeless individuals transition from the streets and shelters to lead stable, independent lives. Friends of Boston Homeless supports a number of vital programs in the city of Boston, including Housing First, Vocational Training and Workforce Development, Adult Education, Employment Services, so forth and so on. In the past five years, I've been invited to attend every single one of their annual events. So. Thanks to Matt Lindley, who appeared on an earlier episode, and he is a board member at FOBH and a lifelong friend and mentor of mine. In addition to Friends of Boston Homeless, via this episode, I hope you also learn something about my special guest, Marianne, who has devoted nearly 20 years of her life to Friends of Boston Homeless, but her journey in helping not-for-profit organizations actually started much earlier, tracing back to when she was just a little girl. I often wondered about how people choose a path in helping people, other people in need. It's easier said than done. What are the daily joy and challenges Marianne has to face? And more importantly, how can you play a part that changes our world for the better 
Perhaps it starts with a smaller mission at your own city. Recently, I was listening to Tara Brock's podcast. Tara is a meditation teacher, and she said in her podcast called "The Devotional Practices," the sacred feminine expresses the realization of our belonging, our innate interdependence with all of life. Helping others helps us open our longing to belong, which is universal longing. We want to be at home. In this case, let's build homes for those who are in need. I also want to dedicate this episode to the founder and president of this organization, Friends of Boston Homeless. His name is John Rosenthal for helping homeless people in need for over 25 years. Without further ado, please welcome Marianne Busina. I am so pleased to have you here. I've been feeling so excited about this interview to talk about Friends of Boston Homeless, an organization I feel like I should be more deeply involved in. Since four or five years ago, I've been going to the annual event、mm-hmm. for that many years. So, how long have you been with? A long time. I started in 1997, I think. No way. Never 90, left. 90, 90. Yeah, ninety. I think ninety-seven. Don't quote me on that. I haven't thought about that in a while. It's been a long time. No worries. <laughs> It was in the late nineties.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I started a long time ago. You know, I was doing a whole bunch of international work、mm-hmm. um, in Latin, specifically in Latin America, specifically around neotropical conservation、um, and sustainable development with NGOs there.、Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of ready to to focus on a local issue. Um, my husband got a job in Boston, so we moved here, and I I just decided, you know, rather than keep doing the international stuff, it was time to think about something that was right in my community. I I went out to Long Island, which is where all the programs were located at the time,、um, and where Friends of Boston's Homeless Office was because we work、um, in partnership with them on a number of initiatives. And I just thought what they were doing to address the issue was, you know, at that time.、Mm-hmm. Different than than how it was kind of being dealt with. Boston was really a, a pioneer in in some ways. I, I don't know if that's the best term,、um, in addressing the issue of homelessness、mm-hmm. in a way that goes beyond、um, you, you know just sheltering people and meeting basic needs, but really giving them the tools that they need and the services and support they need to move beyond homelessness or beyond shelter, as we call it.、Um, I, you know, at that time, it was that was really innovative. And it was exciting, and and so, and you can't get more local than Boston's homeless.、Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like a still, good fit. You know, I still think it's so it's so so innovative today, and I'm so glad you're here because I personally have been sharing stories based on what I've learned in brief moments,、mm-hmm. annual events. How many staff? It sounds like a whole. Oh, there's a lot of staff. Yeah, I you know I don't know、mm-hmm. um, the the exact number, but it's surely a couple of hundred. Um, the Woods Mullen、uh, serves about 300 people every day, and what was Long Island and will now be 112 Southampton is about 450、um, in the emergency shelters, and then across the different transitional programs, there were a number of transitional houses on out on Long Island.、Uh, the jo- through the job training program, it's about 800. 
people every day. Wow. So so it's so interesting because this is very conversational. This is already a lot more than I will learn on the website or at a you know two hour event. I'm intrigued by the fact that this is really a network and not just not not just an office building like an individual uh, entity, Friends of Boston Homeless. But you guys are very networked all around Massachusetts. It sounds like. Well, you know what though? It 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 it's we're it's not us. Mm-hmm. It's not friends. Friends of Boston's Homeless actually is a a two person staff. Mm-hmm. We work with, we, we partner, maybe the best way to explain is we if you think of us like a PTL, like a parent-teachers organization, mm-hmm. it's, it's similar to how, or Friends of the Public Library. So we're a unique public-private, we work in a unique public-private relationship with the City of Boston's um, Homeless Services Bureau. And they run pretty much all of the programs that we support, except, like I said, we have some housing programs. Um, for formerly homeless people in JP and and Roxbury. But all those other programs, the emergency shelter, the vocational training, the workforce development, the adult education, the the larger transitional housing programs are actually run by them. And what we do is our role is to get the private sector engaged in this work. You know, we really believe in it, obviously. We, we believe that it's important, you know, like a parent-teacher's organization, right? They believe that the parents believe that that school's vital to the community and to their, their lives. And so they go out and get other people in the, in the community involved and, and fundraising and, and volunteering and all those numbers of ways to work together on a solution to, in this case, the issue of homelessness, right? It takes people from all different backgrounds and expertise and different sectors to come together, mm-hmm. you know, private, public, government, to come together to solve a complex issue like homelessness. So, mm-hmm. so we're that private sector piece. Mm-hmm. This is super helpful. And uh, you've been referring to as, you know, we, but I'm also very interested in your personal stories as well that just so you know as part of my podcast one of the things that i love is that as a woman i'm able to communicate with other women and bring female guests on my show and just so you know it's really hard somehow in the podcasting world it's hard Mm. to find women who want to you know either represent themselves or their company or to speak up about something they feel truly passionate about so huh uh yeah it's fascinating whereas like men just line up you know like no more men no more no more i mean you know i really have to every three to four people i want to make sure there's one and it's been a struggle for me huh what i love most about and correct me if i'm wrong is you guys build a program so that people not only are sheltered but they learn specific skills then they can actually use and then be part of the innovation right well that's the whole idea you know if, if if Becoming homeless, I always say, is really, it's, it's the last thing on a whole bunch of things in somebody's life that, that did happen and shouldn't have or didn't happen and should have. You know, I mean, like, um, you know, things that happen like abuse and neglect mm-hmm. um, and things that didn't happen um, like access to a good education, access to a strong support system, whether that's family or community support. Um, certainly a lot of that stems from poverty, um, but it's, it's a whole bunch of things. And then, you know, kind of one thing leads to another. In other words, if you ask a kid in school when they're in 
first grade, second grade, third grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? No one says, I want to be homeless and living on the streets, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, everyone has a hope and a dream for themselves and their future. But there's a lot around each of us that needs to happen that often doesn't in people's lives and, and, and eventually leads to homelessness. So, so it, it's not simple. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just as simple as giving someone a job, for example. You know, you really kind of need to meet someone where they are um, and and address a number of issues and help and really help them to address those issues and give them the tools they need and the skills they need and the access mm -hmm. really in a lot of cases it's you know it just is not access to good health care not access to a good education help them plug into those things so that then they can they can put they can rebuild that in their lives or build it in some cases um, because those opportunities were never there. So that's what um, the programs that Friends supports and our programs that we actually run, like our housing programs, do for people um, is, 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 you know, not just a shelter. Mm -hmm. And that's very important and meeting people's basic human needs is crucial. But but for people to, to be to succeed and to live lives like like you or I do and we you know walk around and we're independent and we have community and f support it's a little bit more complicated than that and that's what I I really um I really admire about what um what these programs do and and, and they work. Mm -hmm. Could you give us some examples of some of the programs? What do they learn? Or like kind of the journey of that transition progression? Yeah. So uh, when I say this, we're going to flip it all on its head after after I explain this, because now lately in the last five years, there's there's sort of a different approach mm -hmm. that that does the same thing, but kind of turns the process around. But so so for so for example, somebody. Um, you know, goes to Woods Mullen Shelter. That's the other shelter that Friends of Boston's almost supports. It's in the South End. Um, and actually, the relocated Long Island Shelter is in the South End as well. It will be completely open in hopefully another month or so. Um, so somebody goes there, and nobody's denied shelter. So it doesn't matter what's going on. Um, if you come to the door and you ask to come in, you can come in. It, you know, you if you're doesn't matter. I mean, if you're inebriated, if you know, if, if people, the belief is if someone's showing up at the door, they they want help, and and that's what a shelter is there to do to at least take that first step. There, you talk to an intake worker. Um, there's case managers on site. There's um, uh, with Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program, especially in the evenings, there's nurses on site. Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program is right next door, so there's access to doctors. There's you know substance abuse counselors, um, and like I said, case managers. So somebody can talk to a case manager, or talk to an intake worker, or talk to a, a, a healthcare provider, and say you know these this is what I need. You know, this is this is what's going on in my life, and this is what I think I need help with. And together, then they can work to plug people into a number of programs. You know, uh, and and like I said, like most people need more than one thing at the same time, right? So they have 
health issues, many that are really treatable, but are they're not able to manage amidst the chaos of being homeless, you know, simple mm-hmm. things, um, not simple, but you know, things that a lot of people just live with fine, mm-hmm. like diabetes, for example, or high blood pressure, those kind of more basic health care issues. They need mental health counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they may also need substance abuse counseling. You know, they, maybe they need to go to a detox first. Maybe they don't. They just need to, you know, start going NA, AA meetings or NAA meetings. Some need job skills. Mm-hmm. They need work experience. They need work readiness. They need to build a resume. Some had jobs and, and lost them and need to kind of get back mm-hmm. into that. And some people really never had gainful employment and needs to be able to, to compete in, in, you know, with, with everyone else. Um, and that requires skills and experience. And they need access to education. So there's, adult edu- there's an adult education program that teaches, helps people get ready. They, they need to take their GED, you know, or they have a high school diploma, been well long out of school, you know, are ready to go back and need help filling out applications to go to, you know, one of the local colleges here, community colleges. So again, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's there's a lot of things and there's a lot of ways to plug in. And and that first step really is when somebody goes to, to the emergency shelter, there's people there, staff there that can help them plug into those services and those supports that they need to then kind of begin that process. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm interested in your your almost like childhood stories like what is that trick I have a feeling that there's a seed has been planted there for a long time for you to be intrigued and fascinated by what you do and you know mm-hmm. so do I come up yeah well, well there have so my it really is a long it's really a lifetime of this so my, my father and and he he came his first generation south side of Chicago ten siblings wow. Uh, a mom and dad in a, a I think it was a three bedroom I think it was only a three bedroom on the south side of Chicago um, you know growing up during the depression he was the second to the youngest um, and they were uh, two of the siblings slept in the pantry um, in the apartment so my father was the only one out of all his siblings who went to college. He, he joined the Navy. He went um, uh, the GI Bill. He went to college, and he became a uh, became a doctor. So he really had he you know he came from different roots than what we grew up. My, my brother, I have a brother. My brother and I grew up. It was very different lifestyle, right? Because we were born. My father was a doctor. We, you know, we had a big house. We had all these opportunities, but you know, that was a part of who he was. And he didn't want us to not realize how fortunate we were. You know, in a lot of times, it's just it is really just sort of the luck of the draw, right? You don't you don't have any control over where you're who you're what family you're born into right and and it's easy especially when there's you know a lot of privilege around to not see what else is around you so my father always was of always volunteered he took us at that time they were called soup kitchens um when we were young to help serve meals we you know did things like buy gifts for um children whose families couldn't buy holiday gifts for them, for example. So he really instilled that in us. Um, and, and, and 
wanted us to realize that, you know, in some ways we were just lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and that, that because of that and because of all the opportunities that were afforded to us, we also had an opportunity to, to help others in the mm-hmm. world and, and really an obligation to, to to do more to to do more than just think beyond ourselves you know i'm i'm not really it's easy to be selfish when you're you know insulated and and you know kind of i didn't want for anything growing up right i didn't there was nothing there was i never wanted for food i never wanted for anything i had a good education i had a family that was intact and supportive you know, so I didn't lack any emotional support I needed, nor did I lack any, like, the basic things. And, in fact, you know, if I wanted a, a new coat, I got a new coat. Like, I, it wasn't an issue. I, I think, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that this is where I am and this is what I did really for a career, even though it wasn't what I studied in college. I studied um microbiology and environmental toxicology (laughs) and thought thought I do I do research um, and I did for a while and then I realized I would have to get a PhD to really do the kind of research I wanted to do Mm -hmm. and you know I was 23 years old I'm like I don't want to do that Mm -hmm. Um, at the time um, and was doing some volunteer work with the Nature Conservancy and um, really liked their program in Latin America that they were just starting at the time, um, in the late 80s, and, and how they addressed um, trying to do conservation, but how you have to, especially in the developing world, combine that with, with sustainable development. You know, you can't just go to farmers and say, hey, there's a really rare Phoenix fox that lives or fox that lives here and don't cut the trees down. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, mm-hmm. What? And and you have to, you know. And I thought that was really interesting, but it, because it takes there's a real human piece to that. Um, and so that sort of started me off in that direction, and and um, you know, over years, just led me to this. What what you guys do, what you do in particular, is is amazing, and I just. I want to be able to spread the word in however shape or form that I can. And at this point, I build an audience on my podcast. And I know that every time I release something, there's, there's a group of people um, are going to be listening to this. And I wonder, I feel like there's always that, to me, like there's a little bit of misconception. And, and then you know, when you work at a corporation, there's like a day of volunteering where mm-hmm. you could do that. Um, what are some of the starter kit like that people could, if they want to get involved with Friends of Boston Homeless, how would they go about starting it? And what are some of the different levels of involvement? Sure. Well, I mean, there's so, so our, like I said, you know, our office is, is a tiny office. Um, it's two people and we have an administrative assistant for eight hours a week. And we also have a couple of ongoing volunteers um, that, you know, come in or one of our volunteers was came in today who help us with a number of things so that that's certainly one way to start I mean that's not hands-on and kind of directly working with with um, with homeless individuals but it's rewarding you know they help with things we have someone who's helping us with social media I mean it's it's fun to talk about this and and come up with ways that engage other people. We have volunteers that help with really basic stuff like data entry. Um, but, you know, that's important. And there's people that love that. I mean, you know, that help uh, 
people that help us with some grant writing, that kind of thing. So um, help us around our events. You mentioned Beyond Shelter, which was just two weeks ago. That's a big event with 700 people attending. Mm-hmm. Um, we have volunteers that do everything from serve on committees, on the event committee, to help get prizes and help get corporate sponsors and think about planning and sort of talk about big picture stuff. Today, of volunteers that help set up and help run it the night of. Um, we also do a golf tournament. So those are kind of, those are fun too mm-hmm. and, and ways to, you know, and those are kind of nice one-off opportunities. Um, and then the, the programs that we support have a number of opportunities for people and for groups to engage. So, mm-hmm. you know, starting with doing something like serving a meal at the emergency shelters. Mm-hmm. It's meaningful, you know, it's really, it's, um, you talk with, with the individuals, um, the shelters love the help, the, the companionship means a lot to homeless individuals who, you know, often people don't even look at them on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a nice opportunity. Sometimes groups will combine, and one person can come and serve too, but it's kind of a more, mm-hmm. it's better with a group. Um, there's a workforce development and this and Project Lighthouse, which is the education and, and employment resources program. So we have individuals come in and do things like mock interviews, you know, and that's mm-hmm. great for professionals because, wow. you know, we all know how hard that is. And we all know if we haven't looked for a job in a while mm-hmm. and then you go out to look for a job, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I haven't done this in a while. You know, I haven't put a resume together in a while. I haven't mm-hmm. written a cover letter in a while. What is? What do people even do? Like for me personally, like, you know, do, do people really still write cover letters? You know, mm-hmm. I haven't hired somebody in a, in a few years. And, Good question. And, you know, how, how does that work? So that's that's where, you know, expertise, everybody needs that, like I said. So mm-hmm. we have people that are graduating the workforce develop, the vocational training. They need all that help. There's one-on-one. There's people that will come in and teach, you know, a, a small group to talk about that, to talk, you know, HR people can come in and talk about, um, you know, what's a, what's a work environment like if you're going to go work like someone in, in the restaurant industry, for example, um, can come in. We have, there was a there's a culinary arts program, and people are going to work in restaurants. So what's that really like? Mm-hmm. You know, what's that going to be like? What can I expect? What are my hours going to be like? You know, mm-hmm. how how do I what do I want to talk about in a, in in my cover letter and in my interview? And how I'm going to interview with the chef? Well, you know, how is that going to look? Um, we have we have groups that teach all other kinds of workshops, basic like first aid, mm-hmm. um, for example, a group from BU, um, their EMT program comes in every couple of months and wow. teaches things like that, personal health care and kind of, you know, basic first aid stuff as people are moving into their own mm-hmm. homes and they give them first aid kits mm-hmm. and I, you know, it's really endless. I mean, we have we have some people, uh, a group that's going to come in. It's gonna gonna start shortly at one of the programs that's just been recited from Long Island and do yoga with a men's group. Wow! Um, for six weeks of <laughs> teach yoga and meditation, you know that. So really, it's really only limited. We have a woman that's um, that last year taught um, a group of women uh, knitting and crocheting, and mm-hmm. she brought all you know yarn and she just really basic stuff. So. I, you know, it, it's kind of only limited by people's imagination. I mean, mm-hmm. just, you know, 
homeless individuals are just like the rest of us. We, we, we all crave knowledge, mm-hmm. right? We all want to better ourselves in, in, in a number of ways, spiritually, intellectually, professionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, in our relationships. We just have easier access mm-hmm. to, to be able to gain those, those skills. So, you know, whether it's through the programs or through volunteers, anything someone can think of pretty much mm-hmm. and said, you know, I have this skill, I want to come teach it to people. There's, there's people that are interested in learning that. Um, not only, I think, not only access, I feel like we feel so righteous to, we feel like we have the right to, to access things are in front mm. of us, you know? Right. And even for us, honestly, sometimes you work for a big corporation, you're like, I'm an associate and this is a vice president. I feel like I don't have the rights to speak up or my ideas are less important mm-hmm. and less intriguing. Right. I think for homeless individuals, then that barrier is, is so significant. Right. Oh, definitely. And, and I think a, a nice thing amongst other things that are very positive, around volunteering Mm -hmm. is that piece of it is just you know that's why I say even serving a meal just by being there and interacting and talking with people is helpful because homeless people are so marginalized and so you know you you work down here in downtown crossing so I'm sure you see many, many homeless people every mm-hmm. day, you know, hundreds of people walk by yes. mm-hmm. and don't don't even acknowledge them and don't even don't yeah. even look them in the eye. Right. So, you know, any any time those interactions happen, just like the rest of us, not being ignored, mm-hmm. right, helps kind of your psyche. I don't know you know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm trying to say? So mm-hmm. right. It, there there's this there's this very tangible piece of, of of volunteering and kind of measurable. Oh, I taught 10 people how to knit or I taught, you know, I tutored five people and they all got jobs. But there's this other piece that that you just explained, but I think a lot of us don't even think of Mm -hmm. that is all built up around us Mm -hmm. that and and has been most of our lives. Mm But, but still creeps its little head out every once in a while. And, you, yeah. and so, you know, yeah. you just magnify that. And, and You know, in 2003, this reminded me of um, downtown crossing here. And where I had a friend uh, who was going to school at Emerson and studied filmmaking. And one day, I was still in college at the time. I said, hey, Matt, you want to just come out? And we're just going to shoot a film all around Boston. And that was a day before the marathon, I still remember. And we saw this homeless man who was wearing uh he was calling himself like a cat or something he was wearing mm. he was hanging out at downtown crossing and he's like i have a job here i said oh well what is what is your job i just decided to talk to him out of the blue yeah he said i'm a, I'm a weather reporter and i don't know whether you will ever listen to this but he said i report i report weather every day like people who would walk by mm. and that would be his job Huh. Yeah, so I it's just like it's just so interesting. Like, you know, all of a sudden you have access to people. And then you just mm. you just talk to them, you know. Right. Um I've also saw um a gentleman uh, near government center a couple of years ago and it broke my heart and he said he came back from the war and then, you know, he was he was um basically um amputized like below his knees mm. and then he really was struggling and 
Um, and then I remember giving him money and I said to myself, what is, what is $5 going to do? Like, what is this? Maybe this conversation is worth a little bit more than just money alone. And yeah, I, I believe, I, I personally really believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just think that that, that is really valuable. I mean, obviously resources and and like money are important to everybody but mm -hmm. you know if you're kind of nobody's an island and you know you all that other stuff around you and and, and you get caught if you can if you just get stuck in your own head mm -hmm. where, where do you go from there right so um yeah i think that's that's crucial is just talking to someone looking them in the eye whether you do that on the street um you do that you know in the common uh saying hello to somebody or really taking that one step further and, and coming to volunteer, you know, at one of these programs or or at the shelter. It's it's a it's a valuable piece of all. It's an important piece of all of that of of helping somebody put their lives back together or put them together. You know, maybe that you know some people, like I said, it's decades of mm -hmm. of uh, of neglect and you know, but nobody's hopeless. Right? Mm -hmm. So. So those are good first steps, and I think everybody wins because it's very rewarding, you know, from the from the community, the mm -hmm. volunteers' perspective. It's rewarding from the from the people that you're helping, and and ultimately, you know, our whole community benefits when everybody mm -hmm. does better. Mm -hmm. I want to dive in a little bit deeper. As I was thinking, that sometimes for me or for my friends, as you walk down, say downtown Boston you know, in the morning, 8.30, 9 o'clock. And I feel like you, they're almost two, <coughs> not to categorize them, but they're like two types of homeless people. One is looking very lonely, barely speaking up with a sign versus some some people maybe walking in and appear to be under, you know, uh, sort of drug influence um, uh -huh. that sometimes, you know, people like us walking to work. And there's, I, I have to admit that some part of me feels nervous in approaching or making eye contact. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so how do we, I guess, how do we make that judgment call and how do we overcome that fear? Oh, I don't, you know, that's a tough, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that. I, you know, I, I, I think it just, some of it's just instinct. And I also think being a woman is, it's a different perspective when you're walking by yourself um, mm -hmm. early in the morning somewhere, and you know, it, I you know I don't often. I, I mean, I actually I've I have a pit bull, so I feel a little bit <laughs> a little bit different. But she's older now, and you know, just walking by myself in the park in JP and some man is just walking by you know you're just more alert and mm -hmm. and okay i don't know what this it, it could be in a suit mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so you know that's kind of tough to answer because i i'm i'm cautious just being just by the fact that i'm a woman mm -hmm. i'm more cautious especially mm -hmm. with men mm -hmm. um kind of no matter what they're doing if it's just me and and that person on a street mm -hmm. um so you just have you just have to use not be judgmental, but use your judgment, yeah. right? And what you feel comfortable mm -hmm. saying or or not saying to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's definitely a very it's a tough and tricky question, and you know there are they're the same number of I think there's some 
homeless men and women that we see regularly here in downtown. Yeah. I do see people. I mean, there are, you know, there's financial district, there's downtown, there are a lot of agencies around. And I see people stopping by and having the chat with them. I see people buying them coffee, sandwiches for lunch. And then it warms my heart that people do stop by and, yeah. and, and making sure that they're okay and then they're cared for. So um, I guess... It's a segue into one of my questions is as a, as a young girl and when, when you first your first memory of approaching someone who's homeless versus when you see them now like what is the same and what's different? Well, my very first memory is being in New York City when I don't know how old I was, maybe 6 or something and mm-hmm. um, I wasn't keeping up with my with my parents and and my dad was yelling at me for not keeping up because I don't know I was looking at stuff and a guy came up to me and asked me for some change and you know that kind of stereotypical what we who, what we think of you know oh no some crazy guy and mm-hmm. and a lot of facial hair and old and mm-hmm. overcoat um so that was my first <laughs> my first experience and that scared me mm-hmm. um but then I think the more impactful experience was also in New York City at Grand Central Station and a woman came up it was really crowded and a woman came up to me and asked me for ch- for change and I had seen her 10 minutes or so before and she was clearly I think on high on heroin mm-hmm. um, kind of nodding and um, and she came up and she asked me for some money and I knew you know I and she said I have kids you know, and uh, part of me knew that there was, well, of course I knew something else was going on, but I was like, but who am I, like, who am I to judge? I gave her money. Like, I was just like, whatever. She clearly needs it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just gave her what, well, I don't know what I had, 10 bucks or something, five bucks that I had. Um and that kind of, I don't know, I don't know why even really why that was. So memorable. Yeah, it was It was the first time where I just was like, you know what, well, I have no, I have no business judging this person's situation. I, in fact, don't even know what's going on in her life. I, make, I made assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably right, but maybe not. Um, but she asked for something, and I had it. Like to so, she she needed it for whatever, and she maybe she did or she didn't have kids, but I didn't know. And how am I, you know, say ah she's she's lying? So no to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. It just really struck me. But you know what? It's what struck me more than than that. Mo- beyond that moment was, and because I had done so much work in Latin America. I was like, man, this is a, such a wealthy country. And when did it become okay, and how did it become okay, that there's people that just, like, live on the sidewalk mm-hmm. and, you know, live in Grand Central Station or, you know, most of the time live in Grand sleep somewhere in some alley. Like, when did that become okay for us? Like, where, where, where did that happen? And that now, or even at that point, that we just all kind of walk around and be like, oh, yeah, there's homeless people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's just part of, like... They're always going to be here, as if, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, mm-hmm. the, that, that was really what... 
And, and probably why I happened to the next job after that job was this one. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, what, yes, um, that's probably why I felt like, well, you know, there's got to be ways to solve this. It, it, it just is impossible that it can't be solved with, with the resources this country has and we all have and the knowledge and the, the access we have. So I don't know. I'm not, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but it was, I don't know. It, this it, is the most interesting stuff. It's like people sometimes find, it's like my mom told me yesterday that she was trying to walk around Boston College and completely got lost there and walk into their cafeteria. And I told her, it's, it's important for people to get lost once in a while, like get lost in your own thoughts. I, I think that's, that's really interesting, like what you just said, you know. Um, Good, I hope I said yeah. something, because I, you know, like, I don't know where it went there, but it, it, I never really kind of thought of all those things together before, but I'm certain that there, there is a connection that led me to where I am now that put me that ha- the way I responded the way I did then and, and mm-hmm. sort of led to, to where I am now. Yeah. Um, and and it, it is making me think about, and especially what we're doing now around this whole Housing First initiative, Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't change the fact that, or, or the question I still have is, why is this okay? Yeah. So you raise a really interesting question. I always wondered how could anybody homeless get through the Boston winter? You know that was that has always been my biggest concern. Yeah, people you know? do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, they do. You know, there were people on the coldest nights, and the this was a brutal winter. Yeah, that did not come in. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons people don't come in. They don't like the. Sh- they don't like. They don't feel safe in the shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of and, and a lot of times with especially women, they feel more vulnerable in the shelter than they do outside. Oh, wow. Um, they're, they are actively using drugs or alcohol, and they, uh, you can't, you know, in the shelter, but you can, you know, if you're outside in the park or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. They have, a lot of times, again, it's just some, some, some pretty complex mental health issues and, mm-hmm. and, and fear and mm-hmm. real and imagined um, people don't come in. So they won't. I mean, they, and a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll use the emergency room, not only for any other health care needs, but for respite if the weather gets too cold. They'd rather go there um, than go to an emergency shelter for all those, you know, those mm-hmm. reasons and probably more that I've, you know, there's rules that people don't want to follow. You know, like, um, I, I was just thinking that if there's an opportunity ever for me to speak with a client and maybe conduct a podcast with a client. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I see there are a lot of videos that you produced. I watched two of them. One actually, uh, one was actually in person, a gentleman in his maybe mid-40s at one of the annual events four or five years ago. And his most recent one last month was a video. And you just can't help tearing up. Like, you just find yourself unexpectedly emotional. And, um, and a, a gentleman who was in a... Um, sitting in a house saying, my kids can now visit me. They oh, Arlie, we just made Arlie. that video. Yeah. yeah, so I was going to talk about that. So he's a Housing First, he's yeah, a housing yeah. first recipient. So let me, let me just, because I don't, I don't know how we are on time, but I really want to talk about this because I think it's yeah. awesome, and it, and it changes everything, especially for that population, that yeah. tough, chronic, long-term homeless population. Mm-hmm. It turns the whole idea of 
transitioning and a continuum of care model on its head yeah. and says, no, what if you just house somebody first? Mm-hmm. And it, it's amazing to me that it took all of us so long to get to that idea, yeah. but somebody did somewhere, probably like a decade or so ago, and started implementing it in other cities. Boston's been doing it for about six years now. Some other cities like New York have been doing it longer. Mm-hmm. What if you just house somebody first and then get them the supports they need yeah. while housed? And the idea being is that homelessness is chaotic, yeah. right? If you don't know, you think in front of, what, what you see is your hand in front of your nose. Where am I going to sleep tonight? How am I going to be warm? Where am I going to eat? Mm-hmm. You know, to, to, the idea of anything beyond that is impossible to think about. If you've got health care and mental health care issues, how, where do you put your medication? Right. You know, how do you remember to take it, mm-hmm. even if you have somewhere to put it? it, it just, it's just a chaotic life. So, so once you house somebody all that chaos disappears from their lives because they've got a house and they've got a place where there are, of course, some rules, mm-hmm. but the, it's not like you have to do this, 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 and 20 other things in order to have this place to live. It's like, just come here. Here's a place to live. We're going to put you in this place to live, and we're going to co- there'll be intensive supportive services. A case manager will see you, a crisis intervention worker will see you, we'll talk about mm-hmm. the health issues, we'll talk about the mental health issues, we'll get you benefits that you didn't even maybe know you were eligible for, veterans b- benefits and, mm-hmm. excuse me, SSI and all these other benefits, we'll get you a health care provider and a mental health care provider. And what do you know? People yeah. are like, you fix the roots and not just the symptoms. You almost, you give them the roots. Right. Yeah. And, you know, c- because nobody, and, and here's the thing, what it uh, so these pro in Boston alone? I mean, there's cities that have been doing this longer. I just read an article in Houston, actually, a group from Houston just spoke in Boston. In three years through Housing First, they reduced their street homelessness population by 53 percent. Wow, like that, that's so fast, and they have a much bigger homeless, uh, chronic homeless population than, than Boston does. Boston, in six years, has helped over 600 people, housing first, placed over 600 people in housing, 608 to be exact, and 90% of those people remain housed and have not returned to homelessness, proving that no one thinks homelessness is a good gig, <laughs> right? right? I mean, it's, it, it's, that's the, what more proof do you need? Mm-hmm. You house somebody, then you figure out what they need, and then you plug them into the resources and and the ability to to end somewhat on their terms Mm -hmm. or or a a compromise between their terms and the requirements of the program instead of, you have to do this, 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 okay, now now you, and housing is a reward. It's no longer the case. And it is a beautiful thing. And in the meantime, for, for for skeptics or people, well, it also, because these programs have been going on long enough, there's good data around them now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. In Boston, we work um, uh, the the Housing First programs. Mahasa, Massachusetts Housing and Shelter Alliance, collects that data and reports. And the reports are available online. But the June, their last study was June 2000. Or the last one I read was June 2014. But I think they do them every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, showed that 
when someone is housed versus living on the streets and in shelters, it saves our community about $9,300 per person per year in healthcare and public safety costs alone. Mm -hmm. So it's dignified, it's effective, and it saves our community money. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. it's, some of this is like so, it's not, it's intuitive. It's right. counterintuitive, <laughs> right. you know? And then the same thing, you know, we, we talk about hiring, it's almost the same way in a much lesser scale that retention is making money for the company. Yes, right, right exactly, yeah. by investing in in your, right, in your employees. Yeah. I say that all the time, like, I don't want, I have, we have one other employee, mm -hmm. and if she leaves, yeah. The time and the and the money to to train somebody with the the knowledge that she's had she's been there for ten years over ten years too. Mm -hmm. that, that's much more costly. So why wouldn't I do you know work with her so that she's happy and feels that her job is rewarded right. and rewarding and and she's able to sustain her life and her family's life mm -hmm. than say oh you know you're yeah. asking too much and right yeah. It, mm -hmm. This is, makes perfect sense to me when you say, let's house someone first. Um, again, to people who are not homeless, it's not so much as if, you know, some uh, if a woman's name, Amy needs A, B, and C, then she's going to be all set. It's like a lot of the struggles we have is fundamentally, you know, some spiritual, some mental. Like, we really right. have to change our mindset first. Wow. And how do you do that amidst the chaos of, like, living on the street and shelter and street and shelter mm -hmm. and going back and forth. And then sometimes you get arrested for something. So sometimes you're in jail for a little while, mm -hmm. you know, and you're, or, and you're the victim of, of, you know, just petty violence, being outside, being vulnerable. Like you can't, your mind is not calm. Yeah. Um, and, and it really is never at rest. You're, you're, you know, you're constantly in this mode of, of. Yeah, you can react when you're completely seized up. Right, you know? right. It's, so, I'm a martial yeah. artist and I use that Oh, cool. You know, like when we, when we punch, I try to teach kids, you can't just be nervous the whole time. It is the end, you know, when you strike something, at the very mm. end, that's when you gather all your power. If you're tense all the time, just like a homeless person, if you're thinking about what you have to do on a daily basis, right? Where's right. the medication? Um, where are all the resources? Then you cannot react, uh, mm -hmm. you know. And right, yeah, so. yeah. It is. It does a good analogy. It's so true, and and it's 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 a it's amazing to me. And I have to include myself in this because I've been working in this area for a long time. That none of us ever thought of it for so long. Mm -hmm. And it's never. It's always. <laughs> you know late than never of course what i mean like thank goodness that it's happening but yeah but really like how did that take and you know and maybe it is maybe it's a societal thing that you know it's we're all about pick yourself up by your bootstraps yeah you know but that's just the way that that you know we're raised and that this country is mm -hmm. you know it's it, it's just instilled in us as 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 uh, as Americans, maybe that mm -hmm. you know, oh, come on, and you do these things, and you do all the right things, and you're, you're gonna, gonna be, be okay. Yeah, you're gonna be successful. Everybody should be type A. Right, right. Yeah. And if you're not, there's something wrong mm -hmm. with you. Yeah, not that there's yourself. something wrong with the system around you that that mm -hmm. that did or didn't support you in ways that you needed to be supported, and mm -hmm. especially when you're, you know, young. But even into that. No, it's you. Something wrong with you, and you're not conforming. So that's your problem. And and again, like housing first, kind of just looks at that differently. And and again, I don't need to say more. Except 
Ninety percent of people don't return to homelessness. Wow. And and if you don't like that, mm-hmm. you have to like the fact that it saves a lot of money. I mean, if you multiply six hundred, okay, ninety percent. So 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 five hundred and fifty people times ninety three hundred dollars per person per year. You're talking about a significant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, economic benefit to that as well. Who, who, yeah. who would want to do that? And then I remember at the event that you mentioned that Boston is um, Friends of Boston Homeless. It has like this record high, uh, a model, you know, you create a business model basically and that is so meaningful that other states, other cities can copy from. And I'm thinking beyond just United States. Homeless is, you know, epidemic basically everywhere in the world. Yeah. South America, China, India. There's got to be some some of the part of the system that can be replicated. Well, you know, I would I would think so. I think the one, you know, the one piece of all this and this idea of housing first for it to to work. And I thought I thought about it specifically coming into downtown crossing today um, is there has to be housing stock Mm -hmm. because you have to have you have to have the places for people to move into Mm -hmm. in order to house them first. Right. Mm Um, and I think that's in this. It's challenging in a wealthy city like Boston, and in a city that's just expanding. I mean, Downtown Crossing, what it looks like now, what it looked like twenty. I've been here for ago. twenty years. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can't. You wouldn't even know it was the same place. And I think, well, look at all this. These these luxury, fancy restaurants and luxury condos and apartments. Where where is that piece? Like, if you don't create that for people who can't afford them on on their own and if you don't make that room for for everybody else you have a problem right and, and housing first can't succeed mm-hmm. ultimately if there's not access to availability of, of affordable housing mm-hmm. um, so if that that's challenging for different reasons in the United States um, than it is maybe in other countries although probably it's a part of everything you know, you have to that for that model to really work mm-hmm. uh, long term and on a large scale. Um, you know, you need to. We need to also be at the same time advocating for permanent ho- affordable housing, and mm-hmm. you know, these programs work with landlords and private landlords. They they're Section Eight based housing um, to put people into, so that they you know mm-hmm. they can start that process. So I think it can happen in other places, but that that needs to be a part it's of a premise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so cool, and I want my listeners to kind of just sit on a lot of these ideas, actions you've taken, and really think about it. You know, I think awareness is still key for a lot of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, to respect your time, I have we're four minutes to two. I know you really have to run out at okay. two o'clock sharp, but I really want to take the time. Thank you so much for coming onto my show and uh, I know you're exposing a lot personally, professionally, but uh, in the long run, I think this is uh, so meaningful and valuable. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was, it, I was so much more nervous than I needed to be. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Audio only. So. <laughs> to listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, Please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. 
You can also follow me on Twitter at FaceWorld. Until next time, thanks for listening.